Well, good morning. So, uh, yeah, we finished up an eight-week series last week as we went through the book of Colossians. And uh, powerful time as we uh, spent as a body learning how to value what God values. And in fact, we closed that out at the Civic Center last week. And uh, just appreciate all you who came out. I don't know if you noticed in the bulletin there, but uh, attendance was, I forget what, somewhere around 1240-ish. And uh, that's huge. And I'm telling you, at 830, when they, when they locked up all the parking lots nearby and everybody walking past me had wild dresses and sequins on and... <laughs> probably weren't coming to church and i was trying to figure out what's going to be happening today i so appreciate all you guys who were faithful to uh finding the place getting in there and uh, we had a great time of worship as we closed down that series and you know we had a, a lot of people who have made commitments to say lord i'm going to run hard with you like i want to make sure that my life is glorifying to you and and i'm done earning it that doesn't work and now i'm just going to live a thank you offering back to you and So what would be that thing that would trip us up first if we got on that path? Well, honestly, quite often, and for many of us, it's the word fear. Fear. And so the the next series we're going into, it's a four-week series here called Fear Right. Okay? Like, Lord, what should I fear and and what should I set aside? And, and, And what things can I go after so that I'm constantly honoring you? May I fear the Lord and what I'm doing, but may I not have those small things of the world become distractions. Let's fear right. Okay, that's our challenge in these next four weeks. It's I want to take the step that I've been going after from the last series and I'm going to run with you, God. May everything get out of the way. So now I've got a question for you, a question that I'm looking for a real verbal answer to. Okay, so get ready to talk publicly. I've got a question. Are you ready to fear right? Okay, let me ask it a little bigger. Are you ready to fear right? Okay, here's the deal. If we're going to fear right, it means we better grasp who is our God first and foremost, okay? Today, we're not going to talk about fear as much as we're going to talk about the greatness of the God that we can trust. And from there, it's our anchor point to launch into, Lord, what do I do with fear, okay? So today, who is our God and is he worth trusting, all right? Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 18. We've got ushers coming forward. They've got some Bibles in their hands. And uh, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you, okay? We're going to be walking verse by verse through Psalm 18. Yes, there are 50 verses. So don't worry. It's a poem style. In the Hebrew poetry, there's a lot of statement and restatement. And so it moves fairly quickly, but we are going to move through it all, okay? So Psalm 18, Lord, what makes you so worth trusting? First, security. Everything that touches me runs through my mighty God's hand first. Everything that touches me runs through my mighty God's hands first. We have security in him. Okay? Now, I just want to say before we start out here in Psalm 18, there's a lot of times, I don't know if you've noticed this, that as we describe our relationship with the Lord here, um, some phrases we use in this church... um, We use power phrases, you know, things like uh, earth shattering or window rattling or, you know, God rocking my world. Like we talk about this power statement of God at work in me. Okay, and uh, there's a reason for that. All right. I mean, God truly is all about relationship. And we could say something like, you know, we're going to we have a chance to meet with God in the uh, in the garden. And, and to pray with him quietly and to pick a rose and smell it. And and a lot of ladies are like, oh, that sounds great. And the guys are like, totally lost me. 
Like, I'm out, okay? So we have a God, just so you know, who can be worshipped by both men and women. We have a God who understands greatness and power and yet tenderness, okay? And Psalm 18 is capturing that. This is one of those moments where David's like, he's thinking, I got to write something about my God. Like, I got to tell you, somebody give me a pen. Give me a pen. And then he starts writing down from a warrior's perspective, who is his God? All right? Here we go. I love you, O Lord. Hang on, Tim. I thought you said this wasn't going to get all soft and weak. It says, I love. Yeah, hey, anybody who thinks the word love is weak is missing what the word love means. All right? Love. I just wrote a few things down here. Love sacrifices. Love protects. Love defends. Love endures. Love restores. Love encourages. Love is there. No matter what, love is an unbelievable strength. When David is crying out, I love you, Lord. He's saying, I'm there for you, Lord. I'm there with you, Lord. I'm backing you, Lord, because you backed me. I'm absolutely sold out to you. I love you, O Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? For those of you who've been around a while, you know, when all those four are capped, it means the personal name of God was used, Yahweh, in the Hebrew, okay? This isn't just some word that means Lord, it's Yahweh, and they didn't want to write his personal name down, so they write it down as Lord, with all caps, all right? So personal name of God, personal relationship with God. I love you, Lord. Now, David uses nine mys in here for his relationship with God. Nine times he uses the word my in just these three verses, and then once he uses it for his enemy, all right? So listen to the words he puts with my. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from mine enemies. The words that David chose to use, strength, rock, fortress, deliverer, like strength. Without you, I don't have the energy I need to make it through, Lord, but with you I do. My rock and my fortress and my deliverer, there is security within you. You provide protection. You're my God and my rock, my refuge. He says, you're my shield, my salvation, my horn and my stronghold. This idea of salvation, a horn, it's an idea of, it's a symbolism of of power and authority and rule. And this God provides salvation so rich and free. Notice he says, I call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from mine enemies. Cause and effect. I called and I am saved. We serve an amazing God of power and authority. Look, sometimes we need to stop as we read through the psalm and just grab a pen and write a few words down that blow you away and and catch some of these words. What's a word that's racking you about who God is? And, you know, is he your strength or your refuge, your shield? Is he your salvation? What a great opportunity we have to serve him. You know, the Hebrew uh, words in the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew name for God uh, that goes Jehovah Jireh. It means... I am provides, okay? And that's really what's going on here. We're seeing the security of God, the provision of God in David's life. He talks about salvation, and we've talked about this before here, but when we talk about salvation, a clear way to describe it from Scripture, just to organize it, is it's not easy, but it's as simple as ABC, right? 
And so A, admit. Admit that I'm not perfect, that I, that I come up short, that I sin. Admit that, Lord, I don't have it all together and I'm making mistakes. Romans 3.10 and 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? For there's none righteous, no, not one. That's where we stand and just be ready to admit that. Like it's simple, we just have to say, God, I'm done with it trying to be all about me and it takes us setting down our pride, which makes it hard, but it's one thing to be done. Lord, I get it. It's not about me. I'm not perfect. And even further than just the admission of that, but that there's a penalty for it, eternal separation from him, from Romans 6, 23. And, and that's where I stand, Lord, not perfect and eternally separated you from you. That's where I, I stand along with all of humanity. That's what we need to admit. Uh, B, believe. That's it. You just have to believe that God was raised from the dead, that he came down to this earth, God to man, and then he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins and his replacement payment made available. He rose again from the dead. We believe in God Almighty, our Savior, on the cross at Calvary and and raised again. That's what it's about. Admission and belief. But it doesn't stop there. There's a lot of people that would admit that there's a God, and there's a lot of people that would believe that Jesus died on the cross, but they never put personal trust in him. And that's C. Confess him as your Lord. You see, salvation, it's not as easy. It's not easy, but it's as simple as ABC. Admit and believe and confess. If we call upon him with that, he saves. That's our God. Amen? David spent three verses, and it's some powerful verses, as he talks about strength and and fortress and deliverer and savior and redeemer. Salvation is had in him. Why? Because he called out upon his name. The beauty of a relationship with him. You know, David wrote this psalm uh, after being chased by King Saul. He had been told, you're going to become king, David. God chose him. He was aware of it. He knew of it. And yet somehow God said, but not yet. David didn't totally understand what was going on. And now Saul's chasing after him. His life is in jeopardy and he's penning down these things. Notice he's not writing down, my life stinks. Right? That's not what he's putting in Psalm 18 here. He's like, when you have to get the right focus, you have to make sure you focus on the bigness of your God. And so he's not talking about the problems and the situation without talking first about the greatness of his God. That's where David was at. So here's my question. You going through any pain? Any struggle? Something that's rocking your world? Causing you to get your eyes fixed squarely downward on the hurts of the moment? It's easy in the midst of that to lose sight of how awesome and trustworthy God is. It's time to hand that pain over to him. What is that pain for you? Get a hold of it. You got it? Now just see yourself literally handing it to him. Your refuge. Your rock. Your redeemer. Your savior. Our king. Security. It's the first thing we need to know about our God. I think he changed my voice today so that it would come off with more 
import to you, right? Well, I said it. I don't know. I got a bad cold thing going. So <clears throat> let's hope it makes it for about a half hour more here, right? All right. Security. The second thing we need to know about our God, presence. It's presence. God rushes to our side with authority and power. God rushes to our side with authority and power. Presence. You know, the scriptures talk about him, the Old Testament name, Jehovah Shema. The Lord is here. Like he's right here with us. It talks about the presence of God with us, okay, and the greatness of it. Let's just explore here. He says, David's description of the problem. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. The cords, the torrents, the snares of death. David was being chased. His life was literally at risk. And his response, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Cry out to the Lord in your time of need. Make sure that you make your distress known to him by your dependence upon him. May we long for him to be by our side. Notice we have the promise here. It says he hears our voice. Now, this is David trying to make it clear what it felt like, okay? I mean, we know from other scriptures that God is present everywhere, okay? And so as David says this, he's basically, I'm going to use a big word now, you ready? This is an anthropomorphism, right? It's like, I'm basically going to say some things that are man-like, like he has ears and he's hearing from a distance, and, and I'm making it kind of man-like so it's easier to understand, but I'm telling you, God basically rushed in and made an impact in my life right then and there. Okay, that's what's going on. He's taking a deep thought and making it easier to understand. He said, it's like he was far away and he hears my voice and he comes rushing into my side. Well, what's it like when he came rushing in? Says the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. These are some power verbs, man. Like I'm telling you, if you want to sit down to understanding the greatness of your God, write these kinds of words down. Reeled and rocked and trembled and quaked. And uh, I was telling these guys in the first service, have you ever had that image of Christ? Like for me, it was when I was growing up, there was a couple paintings on the walls in the church. And, and you probably know the couple that I'm thinking of where Jesus was painted. Okay. And so we see one of these couple of them. And the one that I would remember the most was he had his hands turned outward facing outward, and uh, he was holding them out a little bit so that his robes could be shown off. I don't know. You know, he's going like this. So you could see his robes, and they were flowing a little bit, and he had this long, flowing, golden brown hair, right? And he was anemic white, like he looked really sickly. For a carpenter, looks like he hadn't swung a hammer in quite a while, I'm just saying. You know what I mean? Like he didn't seem to have much going on there in the area of strength, and he was like barely being able to raise his hands up, and, and he's standing there in this kind of meek, humble position, and And quite frankly, I know they were trying to capture an aspect of Jesus Christ, but what gets missed in that is the power and authority of the Almighty Savior. And I got to tell you, there's a part of me that had a lot of hard time worshiping who Jesus Christ is and was. That picture ruined it for me. 
Just saying, okay? Now, there was a guy later on, a worship pastor in, in a later high school, who in a, one of our Christmas concerts that we went through, he decided he was going to bring out the grandeur of Christ. And he went and looked for every picture he could find where there was massive, powerful expression in him. It was one of the most awesome experiences I've ever had. As, as he literally sl- puts a slide up of Jesus Christ, like, calming the storm. And he's out on the front of that boat, and he's pushing forward into the winds and they're whipping back at him and he's got this effort look on his face as he's raising his hands forward with authorities crying out and the next picture that comes up dead calm the authority of our savior jesus christ the almighty king of the universe come down humbly into mankind to work with us that's our savior jesus amen hey that's who we worship And as we keep that in mind, it makes it very clear who we come to. The earth reeled and rocked, trembled and quaked. Smoke went up from God's nostrils, the consuming anger of God here. Devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly. How did he come? Like immediate. He came. He was there on the wings of the wind. He made darknesses covering his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coal of fire broke through his clouds. Whose clouds? God Almighty owns the universe. And he's coming in with authority. Notice it says he's angry. I got to tell you, the hurt in this world bothers us. Fallen people. How much more do you think the hurt of this world bothers him? God Almighty, here for us in the midst of it. Now, I got to I got to tell you, I mean, there's a lot of times where we get confused and we're like, yeah, but the world is hurting, man. And and I'm seeing things going on. And what's God doing? And and one thing we're going to have to learn throughout today's message is this. Trust him to know what he's doing to work in this broken world. I'm just going to say it this simply. Sin is the cause of the pain. And sin is owned by you and me. Us. See, we own, according to Genesis 3, the fallenness of this world. And how often when the fallenness of this world tags us, do we shake a fist at God and say, what are you doing? When really we need to recognize that the brokenness of this world caused by us is now touching me. This isn't God's original plan. And he does swoop in at times to change it. At times to give us the strength to make it through it. But God working with the brokenness in order to bring an unbelievable restoration. That's our king. Amen. Okay, a little weak. That's our king. Amen. 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 All right. God coming in to make an impact swiftly. Flying in. Well, what's it look like? What was David's feeling of this? Verse 13. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. The Most High uttered his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them. His flashes, he flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. 
the authority of God Almighty in this world. David's like, I'm just telling you this. I was in pain, man. I was hurting. I had been struggling on my own. I was running after it myself, and it was going nowhere. And the moment I stopped and dropped in my distress and called out to him, it's as if he rushed to my side. I swear I heard the earth tremble and shake as everything before me stopped and God Almighty moved in my presence. That's what was going on. Me. Shaken to the core because of the presence of my almighty God. God's presence in our life can rock us to the core. Well, I appreciate that, Tim, but uh, I'm not really feeling that mojo. Like, I don't know. This whole presence of God thing, I'm not feeling that, and I don't know what I should do about that, and, and where should I go with and. Okay, three reasons I don't feel God's presence. Three reasons I don't feel God's presence. Number one, <clears throat> we get too focused on others' thoughts. Like, what are they thinking about me? And what are they thinking I should have done? Or what are they saying about me? We get too focused on others. Uh, biblical term, fear of man. Fear of man. Like, I'm so afraid of what someone else might think or do or say about me that I'm almost paralyzed to move. One of the biggest reasons we don't step out and take risks for our almighty God. Well, what would that person think or say? Forget the fear of man thing. They're little. Think about your God and his greatness and his vastness and his glory. Okay. So the number one reason we may not feel God's presence, the more we start enumerating all the people around us and all the things they're saying about us, the more we start losing sight of God right with us. Number two, too focused on the circumstances. Might be too focused on people, but number two, you might be too focused on circumstances. Fear of failure would be the biblical way to say this. I've got to be able to manage this. And as I'm looking at the situation, as I'm looking at the list before me, and, and I don't know if I can make it work, and, and what if this goes wrong, and what if this goes wrong, but what about, and what if, and, right? Is it just me that gets stuck there? Is it just me? Okay, thank you. Join me in this, yeah. Like, it's easy to get stuck, right? On the what if, and the what about, and what should I do, and, and don't forget God's got a plan and lord what are you doing what a better question to ask isn't it and lord how do you want me to come alongside of you in this and i can only handle so much and god's like i know don't worry about it we're working that right trust him in the midst too focused on our own thoughts too focused on our circumstances and then the last one is simply this too focused on self biblically pride like oh i got it don't worry about it. I got this one. Like, I can't admit that I need a little help here because that would be admitting defeat. And so, nope, not going to do that. So pride holds us back. And in the midst of our pride or in the midst of our enumerating all the details of the circumstances or in the midst of our moaning and complaining about what somebody might be saying or thinking about us, our eyes are so off of the grandeur of God that we lose sight of his presence. Okay, well, that's great, Tim. I, I appreciate it. Now I know the three things I'm doing wrong. I think I'm doing all three. Like, what do I do now? And how do I get out of it? And it's simply this. Lord, now's my time to recognize you right here with me. I'm not going to talk about other people. And I'm not going to talk about the problems themselves. 
I'm going to talk about you as my rock and my refuge and my strength and my salvation and my redeemer. You are my stronghold. I'm trusting in you, almighty God. Come up with any nouns you can come up with. And if you can't come up with any, get to Psalm 18 verses 1 through 3 and start praying them. This is how you talk. You'll be amazed at how everything eases down. And I'll just put it into other terms. Now you've started breathing in the greatness of God. You start releasing the, and it's not about me, Lord. And you confess the sin that you've been holding on to and the pride and the fear of others and the fear of circumstances. And you just confess that out. And then you start breathing back in the greatness of him. And I'm telling you, it's not going to take but a little bit of time. And you are going to have an unbelievable moment of the presence of God in your life. And I'm telling you, just a little word, didn't say this in the nine o'clock, but take advantage of the music that's out there. Like listen to some power worship songs, get a hold of the song, the great I am or whatever, and, and be praying, playing this music and praying through it and talking about who he is and spend a little bit of time, have it on a CD or on an whatever, some kind of MP3 player you got and be playing and taking advantage of singing back to him, the almighty God having your attention. That's what it's all about. Okay. Worship him, practice his presence. You'll be amazed at the difference. Hey, we've had, uh, we've had some sickness going on in our home this last week. And, uh, can you tell? And, uh, so my daughter Megan was sick last week and so she wasn't here last week for the services. She had fever going on and, and, uh, so this week Alyssa's not with us. She's got a fever going on. She's back at home. I thought I would fit in between the bookends and be sick all midweek long. Okay. So I didn't have a fever, but I had all this head cold and stomach flu thing and it was nasty. <clears throat> so as I was kind of on the uptick and, uh, it was like Thursday night, Alyssa had like 101.8 fever, you know, coming up on 102. You know how you get a little loopy and delirious when you're up there? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, the nine o'clock was a little hesitant to admit this, but we all know we get loopy, right? Okay, and so now you start seeing things. You might get a little bit more sad. You might get a little bit more happy. It's kind of weird. Like you got 102 fever and you start laughing at the dumb things of life, right? You know, you're watching a TV that isn't on, you know, whatever. <laughs> little things. So it was like 101.8 is my daughter's fever. And uh, she just said, I need something to put on my head. I'm so hot. And can I just have a cold wash rag? And so I went and got a cold wash rag and I gave it to her. And she put it over her eyes. It was covering her eyes. And she was just laying there for a few minutes. And I was sitting next to her and her head was kind of leaned up on my lap. And she, she raises her hands up in the air and she goes like this. You know, and I'm like, she's losing it. <laughs> you know, and, and I look at her and I say, you okay, hon? And she goes, hands. Yes. Hold my hands, please. And so I reached up and I held her hands and she just eased her arms down and I just held under her hand and she gripped so tightly. She just held on and just relaxed at ease. And all of a sudden her hands set down to the pillows. She just kind of went to sleep a little bit there. And I let go again. Presence. It means everything. God may not even be changing the circumstance at that moment. He might be saying, this is one we're going to walk through together. But right there with you. Reach up. Hold on tight to God Almighty. So in the first question we asked simply, what was the struggle you got? My second question to you is this, with presence here. Are you ready to say, Lord, may I sense the mountain shake as you rush to my side. Are you ready to say that? 
Are you ready to sense his presence so with you that you'd swear everything around you was reeling and racking and quaking? My God is right here with me. Are you ready for that? It's time. It's time to sense his presence so real and so rich that no matter what anybody says, your God is with you. Amen? That's what we're talking about. Know the presence of your God. Experience him with all you have. Reach up. He'll take your hands and hold tight that you might be able to go through it with him. Okay? So first is security. Second is presence. Number three, healing. The Lord rescues, rewards, and restores. Healing. The the Lord rescues, rewards, and restores. All right, so let's just start out. We'll break the segment down, down into those three. So here's rescues. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. Are you hearing it? It's like I was in a whirlpool and I was going down and he reached in and he grabbed me and he pulled me out. That's David talking. He took me and he drew me out. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. Why did he rescue him? For they were too mighty for me. See what's going on? There's times where God rescues us and pulls us out of a situation because he decides in that moment, yeah, that circumstance too big. I'm here and I've got it. Don't worry. I'm with you. And he pulls us out. A lot of times God does not pull us out. He walks through it with us. David was in one of those moments. He gets to record the pull out and go around moment. Just so you know, when that happens, it's most often God saying this one too big. Not my plan. Okay? Not to devastate, but to grow. That's what a plan is. And so God knows the difference. Trust Him to know the difference. And when He chooses to walk you through it, got it, God. I understand that you believe we can do this together, you and me. And when He chooses to walk around it, praise Him. (laughs) Those are good moments. Thank you, Lord, for letting us go around. Okay? Make sense? We really have to be careful. It's not a promise of every single problem. We get to rush around. Lord, you will take me through. But David's talking about one of those rescue moments. Verse 18. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. David leaning squarely upon God Almighty. The Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. God Almighty at work. David leaning on him. Trust in God. Lean on him and call out his name and see what his plan is. That's David's statement here. There could be a rescue at hand, okay? Leaning on him as a healing God. Definitely a rewarding element as well. Starts in verse 20. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules, the law, were before me, and all his statutes, the law, I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. Now remember, David is writing this in Old Testament time, okay? This is before Christ, before Christ at the cross. So this is the time of law. He's living under the law. This is what you would call Deuteronomic law, okay? It's from the book of 
Deuteronomy. Okay, so Deuteronomic law. And so he's living under it, meaning if I do what the law says, I'll be blessed. And if I don't do what it says, well, then I should expect punishment. Okay, it's that simple. Blessings and cursings. That's what it kind of worked like. You follow under the law. Now, part of the law talked about sacrifice. Right. And so there, there's, there were lambs that could be sacrificed for sin. And so where you make mistakes, you cover up with the lamb. OK. And so when David says, I followed it to the T, David's not saying I was perfect for forever. He's saying I used the whole of the law to count me as righteous before you. And where I needed covering, I had covering. And where I, I filled it out thoroughly, I did that. Thank you for your law, Lord. I stand before you now blameless. We now have something that times 10 billion with Jesus Christ. You see, David had to use a new lamb each time. We have the lamb of God once and for all, his shed blood at the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ for us. And now the law is lived in him and completely fulfilled. And as we put our trust in him, remember the ABCs, as we accept and believe and confess, he literally says, that's it, you are my child. He writes our name in the Lamb's book of life. He calls us righteous. He applies his righteousness to us, and we at that moment can live thoroughly and completely in him. He then now starts to change us to match up to the justice statement he just made about us. Judicially, you're declared righteous. Now let me have you start experiencing it. Okay? That's in Christ what we get to have. And David, before the time of Christ, was saying, I'm, I'm walking through your law, Lord, and, and I'm expecting you to work according to it. And look at more of the reward that's said here. He says in verse 21, So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. God responding to him with the merciful. You show yourself merciful with the blameless. You show yourself blameless with the purified. You show yourself pure getting to taste of God's greatness. Scary thought. If we don't put ourselves in right standing with them and with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. God does stand in holiness and righteousness against sin. And we do not come running to him unclean and simply say, ah, forget it. It's all about fully trusting in him and his shed blood on the cross and humbly asking him to forgive and replace. And as he washes over us, that's when we have the beautiful relationship with him. May we never stand before him crooked, but humbly forgiven. Amen. It says verse 27 for you, save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp, the Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. This God, I love this statement, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Awesome verse to memorize. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. We have an awesome relationship with our God. And as we run with him and experience reward with him, both here and in eternity, God gives us a great privilege of that life experience. You know, I wrote down here, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. What does a reward look like? New Testament side. What's it look like after the cross? So you don't have to go there, but let me just read this. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, 
and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation of Jesus Christ survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Sounds a lot like a works-based salvation. Hang on. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. We have an awesome relationship with God. Our rewards are at risk, okay? And what we do on earth post-salvation, it, it, <clears throat> there is reward for it. There is a loss of reward for it, okay? There is not a loss of salvation in it. Our salvation is absolutely solid in him. You will be saved, but as through fire. Reward available, okay? And, and so we can live in a way that we run after him, that we worship him, that we serve him. And as we follow him, he begins to bless both now and for forever. A walk with our perfect God, our healing God, who rescues and who rewards. Make sure you know that it is absolutely payoff time. To work with God. Absolutely the most satisfying thing you'll ever find in your life. That's what David's trying to get at. And then the last piece, he restores. It says, for who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength did the following things. Listen to the restoring going on. He made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. Verse 33. Verse 34. He made my hands for war. Verse 35. uh, He gave me the shield of my salvation. Verse 36. He was um, basically placing my steps under me so my feet did not slip. Verse 37. uh, He pursued my enemies and allowed me to pursue my enemies. Verse 38. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. David the warrior, recalling what God was doing in and through him, okay? God at work in this place. We need to trust our holy God to know who we should be working with and whose hearts are on fire with him and for him and whose aren't. And that's up to God to call it. And we keep running according to what he's calling us to do. Notice he says right after it, you equipped me for strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. God restoring both my energy and my hands and my feet and my way, providing for me and leading me along. Get ready for this one. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. What? What's that all about? They're crying out to God and God's not answering? Like, isn't that hypocritical? And what are we saying here in... We better be real careful what a cry out to God looks like, okay? To cry out for help, like, Lord, I'm not going to change anything. And I want it to still be all about me, but if you could change these circumstances, that would be great. Like, that's not the cry for help that God's talking about responding to. Remember, he responds to the humble, not to the proud. Just got done reading that. So when they cry for help here, it's a, I I won't change my personal situation. I won't change my heart for you. I just want you to change the circumstance for me. Who's actually in charge in that request? Think about that. God's not responding to that. In fact, we could say it this way from a biblical perspective. There's worldly sorrow and then there's godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow. I'm so sorry I did that. I can't stand the problems it's bringing me. Are you hearing it? Like the the response is, boy, that's hard on me. So I'm sorry about it. Godly sorrow. I'm so sorry I did that. 
I've offended God Almighty and who He is. I stood against Him and I stole His glory and I've hurt others. I'm sorry. Are you hearing the difference? One of them, God first. The other one, me first. God knows the difference. Make your hearts cry a God first hearts cry. Godly sorrow crying out. That's who he responds to. David being used, even here he says, I beat them as fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. They did not respond to God. And God let the end come to them. I'm telling you, we have a God who heals. A God who restores. A God who works with us. And we can trust in him and we can know him. He can move our ways and our feet and our paths. This question real quick for you. There were a bunch of people healed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts in the Bible, right? Lots of stories of healing. How many of those guys are still alive today? Yeah, none. Right? It's a big deal. Like, look, let me tell you, our bodies are temporal. And the healing that God did in the moment there was to make a temporal impact, to make a statement, a sign. It wasn't that something about the physical was all that much more important. He was trying to get to the things of the heart. And so in due time, even the guy who who had died, who was brought back to life, later again would die. Okay? The temporal is the temporal. Leave it where it belongs in a little little sliver of life. The entirety of eternity is at stake. May God get our whole attention. Amen? That's what we're talking about. And so, yes, the physical matters. And God does heal the physical at times. And at times, he also heals the physical in order to get to the heart. And and so let me just use an example. Uh, Pastor Kent posted this on his uh, website, on his Facebook page yesterday. Yesterday. He was diagnosed with leukemia a year ago. A year ago yesterday. Leukemia. November 30th, he was declared in complete remission. That's where Pastor Kent stands physically when it comes to leukemia. Our God heals. Amen? And this body praying for him and obviously staff praying for him and the prayer team praying for him. And it was an exciting time to see God move so quickly in that case and doctors diagnosing fast and God healing and the use of the chemo and all of it coming through and literally doctors going, wow, that was quick and God at work. We have a God who heals and sometimes he heals physically and sometimes he decides not the physical. We're going to go straight to the heart, the eternal. Okay. We are primarily eternal physical or um, spiritual beings. Our physical is just with us for a short period of time. Okay, make sure you keep that perspective when it comes to healing. All right, five steps to biblical healing. How do I get this healing from God? Five steps to biblical healing. You ready? Number one, perspective. It's not about my comfort, it's about my king. So this is under point three still. Five steps to biblical healing. Perspective, it's not about my comfort, it's about my king. Number two, abide in him and his word. This comes from John 15, verses 1 through 6. John 15, 1 through 6. Abide in him and his word. It means spend time with him. Really talk to him. Hear from him. I mean, get in the word literally to have a power time of experience, hearing who he is and seeing who he is. Let him move you and rock you. May you walk away with words like quaked and trembled and reeled. God, I want you to move in my life. Abide in him. So perspective and abide. Number three, ask faithfully. 
This comes from John 15, verses 7 and 8. Right after it says abide, it says, if you abide in him, ask whatever you will, and, and he will say yes. This isn't a way to manipulate God, like hang out with him long enough that you actually get him to give you whatever you want. That's not what it is. It's as you hang with him, he changes your heart, and your passions become his passions. And then what you ask is what he'd want, and he would say yes. Abide with him. He'll rock your heart and change it. And your prayers will begin to be answered like you'd never believe. Prayers for healing. Perspective, abide, ask faithfully. Number four, call for the elders to pray over them. Did you know that? We as elders do pray. This comes from James 5, 16. And, and uh, we pray over people. And, and we love to do it. It's a great opportunity to pray with people. And uh, we've got people here right now that we've prayed over. And we've had very uh, faithful healing as God has worked with them in times of surgery. And, and uh, we appreciate what God does in those times. We as elders definitely pray over things. We also have prayer teams that pray throughout the week. If you've got something going on, let us pray with you. Let us pray with you, okay? So perspective, abide, ask, call for others, call for elders specifically, and then last, submit to his greater will. Luke twenty two forty two. Submit to his greater will. This is when Jesus is praying and he says, Lord, please take this cup from me, but not my will be done. May your will be done. Okay? Take this cup from me, but not my will be done. Your will be done. If you notice, healing bookends with perspective. At the beginning, it's not my comfort, it's about my king. And at the end, it's whatever you want, God, you're in charge. And, and I'm listening to you, you've got a greater perspective than me. And, and yet in the middle, Lord, this is what we see. We're hungry for you to move in whatever way you see fit. That's what it looks like to lay yourself before the healing, restoring God of the universe. Are you looking for him to move in your life? Then it's time to trust him. Okay. You know, my question to you is simply this. What do you need God to work on in you? And are you willing to lay these five steps before him that you might see the healing, the abiding, the asking, the asking elders to pray with, and bookending it with perspective that God might get the greater glory? So we have a God of security. We have a God of presence. We have a God of healing. Last, we have a God of glory. He is so worth praising. We have a God of glory. He is so worth praising. Notice, he says, You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. David's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I disobeyed you at every turn, and I couldn't get this kingship thing figured out, and, and now people are coming in and dropping at my feet, trembling. That's what David is writing down. The king of Israel, the privilege of seeing God at work in his life. He says, as soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. David's being wowed by the position God placed him in. He's in awe of God's greater glory. Notice verse 46. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued people under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me. You exalt God. And then verse 49, for this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and show steadfast love to his anointed 
Steadfast love, that's the word hesed in Hebrew. It means a love that never moves, unchanging and unwavering, absolutely trustworthy. That's our God. To David and his offspring forever. You and me, we're David's offspring. If you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're adopted as his own. He's willing to be at work in you just as he was at work in David's life. Are you willing to have God at work with you? Are you ready to see God move and stir in you? Look, here's the best way I can say it. We serve a God who sits over the entirety of the universe. The world is in his hands. He reaches down into our lives. The great God of all coming down into this place to be right next to you and me, swiftly coming in. Rock, redeemer, fortress, refuge, strength. That's my God. He's willing to be here in the moment. May you sense the absolute trembling and quaking of this world, reeling as he moves in beside you. Everything gets pushed away. Nothing is bigger than him. God, you've got my attention. And I'm laying it all before you now, Lord. I hear you. And I know that you're calling something from me. What can I give to you just to say thanks? And Lord, I worship you and I praise you. You are my king. It's time for him to have our praise. Amen. May we worship him. May we fear correctly. That means God, you've got my eyes fixed on you and everything else falls strangely dim beside me. I am so at ease with you. You're my rock and my refuge my redeemer hey as we go into fearing right in this series and it's a four week long series may we grasp the greatness of god first and foremost amen let's pray